Welcome to the Creative Careers in Medicine podcast with your host, Dr. Dana Pung, and myself, Dr. Elise Hutt. Join us as we talk to inspiring clinicians who have redefined their careers. Today I'm joined by the wonderful Dr. Joe Braid. Dr. Braid is a rehabilitation specialist and professional coach. You may recognize her from her own podcast, The Burnout Recovery Podcast, where she talks about different aspects of burnout and equips you with strategies to prevent and overcome burnout. She has a particular interest in lifestyle medicine and is a tennis enthusiast. She shares the journey of how she got to where she is today, as well as some tips on how to burnout-proof yourself. Hi, Dr. Joe Braid. Welcome to the Creative Careers in Medicine podcast. Hello there, Elise. Thank you so much for having me here. To start off with, can you give us a bit of an idea of all of the work that you're currently doing? Yeah, of course. I live in the Central West in Orange, New South Wales with my husband and our three sons. And my work involves uh, very part-time rehabilitation medicine in the Central or the Midwestern Brain Injury Rehabilitation Program, mainly people with traumatic brain injuries, once they're in community, helping them return to work, return to driving, and then my lion's share of my work is as a burnout recovery coach for healthcare professionals transforming their burnout recovery journeys. That sounds like two completely different but somewhat aligned things of long-term, slow process of general improvement. How do you actually divide the time between the two? Is it you do a bit of both every other day or do you have really time-blocked out periods for each? I've worked with Bathurst Health Service since about 2015, and it's only 21 days a year. That's all I'm allocated with that job. So I can't really turn it up, and there's not much to turn it down either. So that's one day a fortnight on a Thursday. And then on average, I am coaching 10 clients um, per week in my coaching business. And then there's a whole bunch of marketing and admin and I also podcast as well, which is sort of in itself another kind of part-time job too. So about 0.05, I think with my FTE or 0.1 with my FTE and then whatever, 0.5, 0.6 with my coaching business because it's my sort of design of life. It's my design of work. So there's tennis that definitely comes in and that's firm fixtures in the week and so forth, usually Friday afternoon and Wednesday afternoons off. I love that tennis is your firm fixtures, not your work. amazing. (laughs) Sure is. (laughs) I want to take it back a bit and get a sense of what actually drew you to medicine in the first place. Yeah, so this was way ago. Oh my goodness. I grew up in the UK. I grew up in Cambridge. Went through a great school. Definitely had a bit of self-doubt already in my sort of later teen years. And it was my uncle who was in science and said, look, you're cruising along well enough to be able to get into medicine. I did really well with my exams, but went for a post-gap year sort of application in the UK, headed off to Japan for six months and worked in a home for people with cerebral palsy and went away to Malaysia for three months as well on an expedition. And I was called for interview in between. I, I don't know, I just threw my hat in the ring. We didn't have medical doctors in the family. We had PhD doctors and got into Nottingham Medical School, which was my number one choice. They had a really great um, sort of early clinical involvement. We were allocated to a GP within term one, and I really wanted to do hands-on work early on. So that was about a six-year degree rolled into five, 
went through one year in the National Health Service and made a few urgent phone calls to get out to Australia. And I was out to Australia in my second year of medicine, I guess, working in rural North Shore. And I think this might come in a question in a little bit, but I ended up doing rehabilitation medicine and did the four-year um, training there, which was excellent through Sydney, really enjoyed that, lots of variety, lots of traumatic brain injury and spinal cord injury terms with that. Went back to the UK and did a fellowship in Cambridge, which is home, so did some research through Addenbrooke's there and then came back to the big smoke in Sydney, set up a spasticity clinic at St. Vincent's, accompanied my husband and our kids back to Edinburgh for his fellowship. He's an orthopedic surgeon. And then 2014, we moved to Orange. And and then things changed a little bit. There might have been a job here, but that was taken by the time we got back here. So then it was like, ah, oh, okay, how's this going to look? And as I think you're aware, I ended up studying lifestyle medicine for a while as well. So I set up a clinic around lifestyle medicine for a number of years and it was probably that clinic where I actually got burnt out myself, running my own show, feeling very responsible for all the patients I was looking after, and really questioning whether I was doing as good work as I had been before. And so then we went into the pandemic and I had some family issues that went down in the UK during the pandemic. And I just had this really pivotal moment in hotel quarantine of all places and that's when I gave myself permission to change and do something differently. And then from then, when I upskilled in another coach training, opened my coaching business October 2021, started podcasting October 2022, and life is pretty different, to be frank, now closing in on October 2023. There's so many pivots and moves along the way there. I want yeah. to take it back to the first one when you left mm. the UK and came over to Australia. What drove that? What drove that? Look, my dad is Australian and we were lucky enough to come over for a few holidays when we were kids. And I, we'd come over in winter and still be wearing T-shirts. We're like, oh my God, this is amazing. Um, I always wanted to see if the work vibe was as good as the holiday vibe was. And I knew I could try out a year and see what it was like. I went from 100-hour weeks in the UK to 40-hour weeks at Royal North Shore, which was amazing for sort of social life and beach time already to start with. And I wasn't really clear what specialty I was going to go into. I actually thought I might do anesthetics and the anesthetic department got really excited about the fact that I hadn't done the Australian med school exams. So I had to do my AMCs to even be considered to get on that scheme, whereas rehab was actually a little bit more easygoing and they were like, get on the scheme and do your exams at the same time. So I did that. Yeah, that was some of my drive to coming to Australia and absolutely no regrets. Quite a few Nottingham grads came over and actually still a couple I know from med school are still working in Sydney. So nice to have them around too. Yeah, that's amazing. And anesthetics mm -hmm. versus rehab feels completely different <laughs> specialties. What was the appeal of rehab? Yeah, so the little journey around that was maybe no surprises and maybe you have people on your podcast talking about getting disillusioned in medicine from time to time. I just didn't know where I wanted to go. I was in ICU. I never actually did an anesthetic term. I did lots of ED terms and I decided to upskill as a Pilates instructor. I've always been somebody that wants to know how something works. So I was doing Pilates, really enjoying that. And UTS had a one-year 
very part-time course. So I always worked my shifts so that I could have Fridays off and I would go to do Pilates training. And that was great and knew all the anatomy and just had to, but also had to learn that skill set that you need to have to be a Pilates instructor. And then I was like, oh, I don't want to be a Pilates instructor. I'll still do medicine, but what do I do? So my teacher said, well, you probably could either do geriatrics or rehab. And we just hadn't had much rehab exposure in the UK. And I didn't really get that as any of my medical terms in Australia. Took a punt, threw my hat in the ring, and kind of the rest is history. And, you know, I think it ties in very well from having worked in Japan in a home for people with cerebral palsy. And then my first year medical school holiday, I went to Bangladesh and worked in a home for people with spinal cord injury as well. And I'd already had some rehab involvement without realizing that was so sort of instrumental or conducive to the direction I've ended up taking. Was this your Pilates school teacher that was telling you to do rehab? Yeah. yeah. I love that. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think many medical people are getting career advice from Pilates teachers, so (laughs) love that. Thanks. (laughs) I am also a Pilates girl. Yeah, I love Pilates. Did you ever actually teach Pilates or did you just do the education? Yeah, I did. I did. So the instructor through UTS also had her own studio, so I helped out, but I was allocated some classes, I think, as well. And they were nice and small, like six to 10 people as an add-on after a full day in hospital. So just working out how you're going to fit that in and getting out on time. And it felt like a bit too distant. It felt like very different to that engagement that you have with a patient-facing role, I would say. You do the teaching. I know it's really impactful and it means a lot to those in the room, but I just couldn't see myself doing that long-term. So that was pretty short-lived really. Yeah. (laughs) Do you you find that you brought those skills into rehab at all? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure how I would be actually doing that as I remember what I learned through the Pilates time. Maybe it upskilled me with something biomechanically, but Yeah, I see that it's probably coaching that I actually bring more of into my clinical role uh, with the biopsychosocial approach than uh, what I learned through the Pilates training, but such a great springboard to realize more about this area of medicine. And I'm really grateful I chose this specialty in the end. Yeah, it sounds like from the beginning, you were always branching out and interested in doing different things. Yes. What's your favorite role that you're currently doing? Is it the coaching, the podcasting, the clinical work? It's a good question because I really like all of it. It's so much of a better balance than I felt I had five years ago or so. I've always really enjoyed my brain injury job. We have a great, really stable team. Um, Most of the staff, most of the allied health have been there since I I started in 2015. So I always do shout outs to them because I really like turning up there and seeing my team there because coaching is much more of a one-on-one solo practitioner kind of angle. I would say the coaching and the podcasting, I meet people globally through this. I have clients internationally. I podcast with people in Canada, US. I've got somebody in the UK I'm connecting with in a few weeks. So certainly meeting wonderful people with a growth mindset and deciding to invest in themselves to do something differently through my coaching world is pretty inspiring too. I don't think I'm going to give you a favorite though. They're all pretty similar. (laughs) I thought that was going to be a tough question. I want to know a bit more about the coaching. How did you actually, when did you first get into that and how did you approach Mm. it? 
Yeah, sure. Well, I can tell you, I didn't grow up being a super sporty kid. So I didn't really have lots of experience from having a sports like coach. In 2007, I was about to sit my rehab specialist exams or 2008, we actually sat them. And I engaged a non-medical coach for sort of role playing for prep to sound like a specialist when I was in my quiz, in my OSCE. And that was definitely the first time I engaged a coach. Performance coaching worked out really well, nailed my OSCE and thought that was really helpful. Um, Then in about 2011, I was pregnant with my first son and I did a full one-year coaching through Real Coach in Brisbane. That was good. wasn't really my time to set up a coaching business with a newborn in my arms though. And then in 2021, so I sought out some additional coaching in 2020 during the pandemic, really good group coaching through the US. And again, I wanted to find out what is the method that they use here. And these names kept on getting mentioned really quickly. And I was like, who is this? What is this behind the scenes? And so I upskilled as a professional life coach through the life coach school in the US and was in a healthcare provider allocated group. It was really fun, really great connections that I made through there. And I still have quite a big cohort of people that I know in the US, including physician coaches. And I'm heading back to the US for the fourth physician coaching summit in November this year. So that was really where I upskilled in that. I did a bit of extra training around burnout specific coaching last year. And now I'm connecting more with doctors who coach doctors in Australia, and we've got like coaching supervision opportunities that are coming up now as well. So it's great that there's so much more locally for us to be a part of. Mm. I was going to ask, actually, is your coaching primarily doctors that you coach or is it people from all walks of life? Yeah, great question. So I do advertise really for healthcare professional coaching, and I've had a whole range of allied health nurses at various different grades and from interns through to consultants. I've had a few people who are non-medical, but not so many. No, Mm -hmm. it seems to be having this experience as a doctor of 20 years plus coaching. There's so much that we just get in the coaching scenario when, you know, you don't have to explain things in lots of detail. So yeah, mainly healthcare. Why do you think it is that healthcare professionals are suffering from burnout so frequently? Like, it certainly didn't feel quite this way when I felt like I went through my training and my specialization sort of 15 years ago, 10, 15 years ago. I would say there's a variety of factors that impact burnout rates currently. The pandemic threw an incredible amount of um, stress, extra workload, um, all the PPE, all the homeschooling, the challenge that brought a lot of uncertainty, I think, to people's lives. And we didn't know how long that was going to go on for, etc. Then I would really talk about three different factors that contribute to um, burnout, which is what I talk about on my podcast and in my talks around the workplace. So I think we are aware there is quite a lot of staff shortage. And when I do a talk, what are your main contributors? People always say staff shortages. And that is a real challenge, whether you're here regionally, and I'm sure it's similar also in the metro areas as well. The workloads are higher then because of the staff shortages. I would say we get very much interrupted in our flow of our work as well. I mean, maybe that's the norm. Maybe that's the way it's always been when we've had got pages and that. And another workplace factor that I think 
adds to the risk of burnout is what's the culture and what's the level of recognition that somebody has in the workplace? Do they feel valued? Do they feel like they've been recognized in the work that they're doing? And that's like an icebreaker that I do when I do workplace talks to uh, start with recognition in the room. Secondly, I'd talk about personality types. So if you're looking at doctors in the workplace or healthcare professionals, often they're type A, not always, but often they're type A. I would say they are more at risk of burnout, very high expectations for themselves, a perfectionist, very detailed approach. So it could be projects can take longer to complete rather than that's going to do. That's okay. I don't need to put every single part of the past medical history and all the different allergies and what happens. Well, maybe you do need to put about the allergies, but like the detail of the response that you put in your letter could either take maybe 10 minutes longer than for another person without such a perfectionist mindset. And then thirdly, I would talk about lifestyle as well. Like how much sleep are you getting? What's keeping you up at night? I have clients who wake up with sort of panic and agitation and really working on good quality sleep is an important part of burnout recovery. And then how your social connections as well. I think I might talk about this shortly as well, but sometimes we can be so head strong into work and the hours that we have to do, like I coach in my local emergency department and the ED regs have to do about 50% nights. So immediately it is less social anyway when you're working night shifts and doing your best to sleep in the day. That's just a handful of contributors that I think are contributing to the burnout rates in healthcare professionals at the moment. Yeah, a lot of those things that you mentioned really hit close to home for me. I think they will for anyone working in healthcare. We've covered it a little bit, but I'd like to ask you a bit about what a coach is, what a coach does, what coaching actually looks like, the sort of structure that people can expect if they wanted to engage a coach. Yeah, look, I think bringing a sports analogy here helps because we would be used to watching the Matildas recently and seeing their coach on the side of the field. And he's like watching the whole field and looking at the whole game. I do give that analogy when coaching, you're looking at the whole field, how do we win the game? And then when you're doing one-on-one coaching, it's not generally as noisy as a soccer pitch. And it's like, okay, so what is really important to this person in this moment? I look at my clients and see the potential that they've got And how can they make it possible to get to where they want to get to? In coaching, I'm coaching people who've got some growth mindset in there. They've got a, they've been decisive that they want to do something differently, that they're not going to continue in the way that it has been. I see that a client has a lot of wisdom within them as well. So it's not for me to give advice or talk about my experience like maybe a mentor or a supervisor would. In coaching, I see that the wisdom comes from the client that I work with. And I think it's just a very sort of safe, neutral, reflective space that coaching provides for an individual, which can sometimes be hard to come by. Whether you've got little people at home who are knocking on the door or just like in your face in all the different places you're trying to have quiet time or you're in the workplace as well. And I think psychological safety is something that really impacts on how somebody shows up in work. In a coaching space, I really look for it to feel like a psychologically safe space for that client. And a time when they can be aware of how their thinking is impacting on what they're doing, understanding why we do what we do or we don't do. 
I think it's not very common for medical people to take on coaching. I think it's becoming mm. more common, but yeah. we're definitely not taught to sit back and reflect on what we want or feel overly empowered to think we have control over where our career goes or how yeah. we work or any of those sorts of things that sure. we actually do have a lot of control over. Yeah. When you take on a new client, how do you actually structure their sessions and do you work through a structured course or is it all very individual? Yeah, great question. So I offer a free consult call to anybody interested in working with me. That's about a half an hour to see what's going on and where they'd like it to be. And then I'll generally do a 12-session program with them, which usually runs over about four months with um, taking into account like holidays and things that come up. So they generally have one a week. The first six weeks are usually pretty structured. So we're looking at their strengths, we're looking at boundaries, we're looking at priorities, we're looking at scheduling and time management that includes you because so often time management doesn't always include the human who's writing the schedule. I find with my clients, definitely healthcare, self-care. I really invite the person to see what are self-care strategies that work for them. And I always drop in self-compassion, operating from kindness rather than from judgment and how can that be included in what you do. So the first six weeks are usually pretty structured, but I've had some people that approach me for like burnout prevention strategies as they change through their career with that real insight that they want to stay well, they don't want to allow the change to overwhelm them. And the second six weeks of the program is usually more free form. They've got a bunch of self-coaching tools under their belt. We can revise them, we can review them. And seeing that they're going to maintain the changes that they've made already ongoing. Sounds useful for a lot of people that I've come across, I think pretty much yeah. anyone in healthcare could probably use a bit more of those skills and maybe more built into med school and JMOing and all of that. Where do you think the future is going to take you? Do you have much of an idea of where you'd like to go from here or do you feel like you've achieved everything you set out to achieve? You're pretty happy with where you're at at the moment. What are your thoughts? <laughs> Great question. Um, yeah, I'm going to the Australian Open next year. Only kidding. Look. <laughs> Might need a, um, a different coach for that one. Yeah. <laughs> I do have a tennis coach. He's awesome. Um, I bring my growth mindset to everything that I'm doing, and I guess I don't feel static or stable or finished with where I am either. I see my clinical career continuing. I don't think I'll be doing heaps more time-wise in clinical load. If anything was going to grow, it would be my coaching business. And as I am full, I'm already sort of mindful of whether I grow my coaching business so I can have other coaches working with me so we can reach more healthcare professionals and provide more support Australia-wide and beyond because the demand is definitely there. People are asking more for coaching keeping my podcast going, about to hit my one-year anniversary, which is really exciting. And I love that sort of playground of sharing thoughts and guest interviews there. And I just put in an application for the Maya Foundation Fellowship, which closed yesterday. So if I manage to secure one of those three fellowships, then next year will look a little bit different. I'll keep you posted on that later. Oh, amazing. I, don't, mm. I haven't heard of the Maya Fellowship. What is it? So this is from the Meyer family, the Kenneth Meyer Foundation, I believe. 
It is for innovators and leaders who have a solution that they want to scale and impact more broadly than they are currently doing. So it's like a funded year, 140,000 Australian to fund you to blow up, like do this project that you've got. So I've thrown my hat in the ring with that one as well. We don't find out till March after a few more interviews and various different things that need to happen, but it'll be really exciting. It's related to what I do, but something on a much bigger scale. Yeah, incredible. Well, I hope you Mm. get it. Thank you. Lastly, I wanted to see if you could talk us through either an exercise or activity or some sort of intention setting practice that people can do while they're listening along or after they listen to this podcast, focusing on preventing burnout. Mm, Sure. Great question. So I'd say it's something for afterwards and it's as simple as stay connected. So in burnout, people become isolated. We see the insularity. We see people less engaged in their teams. So what can you do to connect with someone after this podcast? Maybe you're driving, maybe you're walking. You want to send a text, you want to give a call. It's a great way to decrease our stress response. And we know that work in medicine can be multiple micro traumas during the day. So help your mind, help your body, help your physiology with connection with others. Connection really impacts how we replay problems in our head, impacts our current and our future anxiety, and really having a lack of connection is stressful to ourselves. So I would say stay connected. I love that. That feels simple. It does might not sound simple to everyone listening, but I hope everyone goes and does that after listening to this. Mm. I do have one final question for you that we ask everyone that comes on the show, which is if you were to pursue a career outside of medicine, which I'm going to extend to coaching, what would you do? Yeah, so I was prepping the answer for that, including coaching. I didn't realize I couldn't put that in there too. Jeez, what would I do? Well, I'm going to go ahead and say that you would be a tennis star from everything (laughs) you've said so far. But you can give me the coaching answer. Yeah, it would be to expand my coaching business with additional coaches so we can reach more healthcare professionals. I haven't really rethought what my career would be recently. I absolutely love what I do. I love where I'm at. And I'm like not even tempted to be thinking about what a different career could be for me. So following the snow (laughs) could be fun as well, but I'm probably getting a bit old for that. It's maybe a bit easier to follow the green tennis ball instead, something like that. (laughs) That's amazing. We can't really ask you to be happier than that, being content in your current work. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Joe. Where can people find you if they want to check out all of the amazing work that you're doing? Thank you so much. Great to be here and really great to be involved with CCIM and your audience. So I hang out on the socials at Burnout Recovery Doctor, so DR. I'm on LinkedIn, Dr. Joe Braid, B-R-A-I-D, and my website is drjoebraid.com. Would be great to hear from your audience. Oh, and my podcast is the Burnout Recovery Podcast. Perfect. Give it a listen after this one. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Creative Careers in Medicine podcast, a proud member of the Talking Health Tech podcast network. Visit the Creative Careers in Medicine website in the show notes of this episode for more resources to help you find the courage, confidence and skills to take control of your career and forge your own unique path. The Creative Careers in Medicine podcast acknowledges the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognises the continuing connection to lands, water and community. 
We pay our respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to Elders past, present and emerging. 